0: Part three of Colonel Chabert. This is a LibriVox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Colonel Chabert by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Clara Bell and Ellen marriage Part three. The Colonel, as he called himself, sat for a moment motionless and bewildered. The depth of his woes had no doubt destroyed his powers of belief. Though he was eager in pursuit of his military distinction, of his fortune of himself perhaps it was in obedience to the inexplicable feeling the latent germ in every man's heart to which we owe the experiments of alchemists the passion for glory the discoveries of astronomy and of physics everything which prompts man to expand his being by multiplying himself through deeds or ideas in his mind the ego was now but a secondary object just as the vanity of success or the pleasures of winning become dearer to the gambler than the object he has at stake the young lawyer's words were as a miracle to this man for ten years repudiated by his wife by justice by the whole social creation to find in a lawyer's office the ten gold pieces which had so long been refused him by so many people and in so many ways the colonel was like the lady who having been ill of a fever for fifteen years fancied she had some fresh complaint when she was cured there are joys in which we have ceased to believe they fall on us it is like a thunderbolt they burn us the poor man's gratitude was too great to find utterance to superficial observers he seemed cold but derville saw complete honesty under this amazement a swindler would have found his voice where was i said the colonel with the simplicity of a child or of a soldier for there is often something of the child in a true soldier and almost always something of the soldier in a child especially in france at stuttgart you were out of prison said Derville you know my wife asked the colonel yes said Derville with a bow what is she like still quite charming the old man held up his hand and seemed to be swallowing down some secret anguish with the grave and solemn resignation that is characteristic of men who have stood the ordeal of blood and fire on the battlefield monsieur said he with a sort of cheerfulness for he breathed again the poor colonel he had again risen from the grave he had just melted a covering of snow less easily thawed than that which had once before frozen his head and he drew a deep breath as if he had just escaped from a dungeon monsieur if i had been a handsome young fellow none of my misfortunes would have befallen me women believe in men when they flavor their speeches with the word love they hurry then they come they go they are everywhere at once they intrigue they assert facts they play the very devil for a man who takes their fancy but how could i interest a woman i had a face like a requiem i was dressed like a sans-culotte i was more like an eskimo than a frenchman i who had formerly been considered one of the smartest of fops in seventeen ninety nine i chabert count of the empire well on the very day when i was turned out into the streets like a dog i met the quartermaster of whom i just now spoke this old soldier's name was boutin the poor devil and i made the queerest pair of broken-down hacks i ever set eyes on i met him out walking but though i recognized him he could not possibly guess who I was. We went into a tavern together in there when I told him my name. Boutin's mouth opened from ear to ear in a roar of laughter, like the bursting of a mortar. That mirth, monsieur was one of the keenest pangs I have known. It told me without disguise how great were the changes in me. I was then unrecognizable even to the humblest and most grateful of my former friends. I had once saved Boutin's life, but it was only the repayment of a debt I owed him. I need not tell you how he did me the service it was at ravenna in italy the house where bhutan prevented my being stabbed was not extremely respectable at that time i was not a colonel but like Boutin himself a common trooper happily there were certain details of this adventure which could be known only to us two and when i recalled them to his mind his incredulity diminished i then told him the story of my singular experiences although my eyes and my voice he told me were strangely altered although i had neither hair teeth nor eyebrows and was as colourless as an albino he at last recognised his colonel in the beggar after a thousand questions which i answered triumphantly he related his adventures they were not less extraordinary than my own he had lately come back from the frontiers of china which he had tried to cross after escaping from siberia he told me of the catastrophe of the russian campaign and of napoleon's first abdication that news was one of the things which caused me most anguish we were two curious derelicts having been rolled over the globe as pebbles are rolled by the ocean when storms bear them from shore to shore between us we had seen egypt syria spain russia holland germany italy and dalmatia england china tartary siberia the only thing wanting was that neither of us had been to america or the indies finally boutin who still was more locomotive than i undertook to go to paris as quickly as might be to inform my wife of the predicament in which i was i wrote a long letter full of details to madame chabert that monsieur was the fourth if i had had any relations perhaps nothing of all this might have happened but to be frank with you i am but a workhouse child a soldier whose sole fortune was his courage whose sole family is mankind at large whose country is france whose only protector is the almighty nay i am wrong i had a father the emperor ah if he were but here the dear man if he could see his chabert as he used to call me in the state in which i am now he would be in a rage what is to be done our sun is set and we are all out in the cold now after all political events might account for my wife's silence boutin set out he was a lucky fellow he had two bears admirably trained which brought him in a living i could not go with him the pain i suffered forbade my walking long stages i wept monsieur when we parted after i had gone as far as my state allowed in company with him and his bears At Karlsruhe I had an attack of neuralgia in the head, and lay for six weeks on straw in an inn. I should never have ended, if I were to tell you all the distresses of my life as a beggar. Moral suffering, before which physical suffering pales, nevertheless excites less pity, because it is not seen. I remember shedding tears as I stood in front of a fine house in Strasbourg, where once I had given an entertainment, and where nothing was given me, not even a piece of bread. Having agreed with on the road I was to take, I went to every post-office to ask if there were a letter or some money for me. I arrived at Paris without having found either. What despair I had been forced to endure! Which I must be dead, I told myself. And in fact the poor fellow was killed at Waterloo. I heard of his death later, and by mere chance. His errand to my wife had, of course, been fruitless. At last I entered Paris with the Cossacks. To me this was grief on grief. On seeing the Russians in France I quite forgot, that i had no shoes on my feet nor money in my pocket yes monsieur my clothes were in tatters the evening before i reached paris i was obliged to bivouac in the woods of clay the chill of the night air no doubt brought on an attack of some nameless complaint which seized me as i was crossing the faubourg saint martin i dropped almost senseless at the door of an ironmonger's shop when i recovered i was in a bed in the Hotel dieu there i stayed very contentedly for about a month i was then turned out i had no money but I was well, and my feet were on the good stones of Paris. With what delight and haste did I make my way to the Rue du Mont Blanc, where my wife should be living in a house belonging to me? Bah! The Rue du Mont Blanc was now the Rue de la Chaussée d'Antin. I could not find my house. It had been sold and pulled down. Speculators had built several houses over my gardens. Not knowing that my wife had married M. Ferreau, I could obtain no information. At last I went to the house of an old lawyer who had been in charge of my affairs this worthy man was dead after selling his connection to a younger man this gentleman informed me to my great surprise of the administration of my estate the settlement of the monies of my wife's marriage and the birth of her two children when i told him that i was colonel chabert he laughed so heartily that i left him without saying another word my detention at stuttgart had suggested possibilities of charenton and i determined to act with caution then monsieur knowing where my wife lived i went to her house my heart high with hope well said the colonel with a gesture of concentrated fury when i called under an assumed name i was not admitted and on the day when i used my own i was turned out of doors to see the countess come home from a ball or the play in the early morning i have sat whole nights through crouching close to the wall of her gateway my eyes pierced the depths of the carriage which flashed past me with the swiftness of lightning and i caught a glimpse of the woman who is my wife and no longer mine oh from that day i have lived for vengeance cried the old man in a hollow voice and suddenly standing up in front of derville she knows that i am alive since my return she has had two letters written with my own hand she loves me no more i i know not whether i love or hate her i long for her and curse her by turns to me she owes all her fortune all her happiness well she has not said me the very smallest pittance sometimes i do not know what will become of me with these words the veteran dropped on to his chair again and remained motionless. Deville sat in silence, studying his client. "'It is a serious business,' he said at length, mechanically. "'Even granting the genuineness of the documents to be procured from Heilsberg, "'it is not proved to me that we can at once win our case. "'It must go before three tribunals in succession. "'I must think such a matter over with a clear head. "'It is quite exceptional.' "'Oh!' said the colonel coldly, with a haughty jerk of his head. "'If I fail, I can die.' but not alone.' The feeble old man had vanished. The eyes were those of a man of energy, lighted up with the spark of desire and revenge. "'We must, perhaps, compromise,' said the lawyer. "'Compromise?' echoed Colonel Chabert. "'Am I dead, or am I alive?' "'I hope, monsieur,' the attorney went on, "'that you will follow my advice. Your cause is mine. You will soon perceive the interest I take in your situation, almost unexampled in judicial records.' for the moment i will give you a letter to my notary who will pay to your order fifty francs every ten days it would be unbecoming for you to come here to receive alms if you are colonel chabert you ought to be at no man's mercy i shall record these advances as a loan you have estates to recover you are rich this delicate compassion brought tears to the old man's eyes deville rose hastily for it was perhaps not correct for a lawyer to show emotion He went into the adjoining room, and came back with an unsealed letter, which he gave to the colonel. When the poor man held it in his hand, he felt through the paper two gold pieces. "'Will you be good enough to describe the documents, and tell me the name of the town, and in what kingdom?' said the lawyer. The colonel dictated the information, and verified the spelling of the names of places. Then he took his hat in one hand, looked at Derville, and held out the other, a horny hand, saying with much simplicity, "'On my honour, sir, after the Emperor,' you are the man to whom i shall owe most you are a splendid fellow the attorney clapped his hand into the colonel's saw him to the stairs and held a light for him boucard said derville to his head clerk i have just listened to a tale that may cost me five and twenty louis if i am robbed i shall not regret the money for i shall have seen the most consummate actor of the day when the colonel was in the street and close to a lamp he took the two twenty-franc pieces out of the letter and looked at them for a moment under the light It was the first gold he had seen for nine years. I may smoke cigars, he said to himself. End of Part 3